0: And I'm laughing because I'm about to throw an illustration at you that's a little abnormal for church. But So, years and years ago, it's about 18, 20 years ago, I was driving with my wife-to-be from my parents' house back up to college in Geneva, New York. It's a five-hour drive, and I'm notorious for having to stop to take care of business on long, long drives, because I'm always sucking down one of these things. And we weren't married yet, so whatever Laura said, I basically did with a smile on my face. So we passed a rest stop about 45 minutes into the ride, and I said, Oh, I gotta pull off. She says, Can't pull off, we just got going. So I go, Okay, honey. And another rest stop, I said, I gotta go. She says, No, okay, honey. And we kept going, and I was, I don't know if you ever experienced this, I'm in that keeled over position when it's like if you laugh, it's gonna go really bad. So she's sitting in the seat on the right, laughing. She's like, here, you can use this. It's like a, a little 12-ounce Coke. I'm like, stop. She's like, ah, like, no, stop, stop, stop. And then all of a sudden, there are no rest stops. And I, I'm in pain. I mean, this is like, if men could give birth, this, I think this is what giving birth must feel like. Get that look off your face. So finally, four hours in, I've gone into this semi-trance, numbed-out, in-pain state. We pull into Syracuse to the Carousel Mall. Has anyone ever been to the Carousel Mall in Syracuse? It's got restrooms on either end of the mall. And it's huge. And we pull in. And there are no spots. And you know, you're like, you know, and you're like bouncing like it's going to help you. And we park, and Laura's cracking up, and I'm yelling, you know, not-so-nice words about please stop, be quiet. And we park, and we're about three miles away, I feel like. And I get out of the car, and I'm like, oh... And I'm looking way yonder is the mall. And I'm doing that. You ever do this? It's hunched over knee lock, like <laughs> and this is pre-9-11, otherwise I would have been locked up. And I get in the mall and I'm like, shoot, it's the middle of the mall. And I take off down to the end of the mall. I'm like, just like this. I remember it clear as day. And I get to the bathroom and I run in the bathroom and I experienced a horrendous medical condition called full bladder cramp lockdown. You can't go! So I'm standing there in incredible pain. I think something exploded in me. I'm just like, you're kidding me! So I'm pacing outside the bathroom for about 10 minutes like, (laughs) finally, finally, finally I got to go. Why do I share that story with you? I have no idea. Actually, I have an idea. I'll guarantee that that story will stick today's sermon in your head so it won't go anywhere. And every time you go by a bathroom or a rest stop, you'll think about today's sermon. Because today's sermon is entitled, To Pee or Not to Pee? Every time I go by a rest stop, I ask the question, to pee or not to pee? Because it went bad one day. I bet you didn't know Jesus talks about that, except it's a different type of pee, and it's a different type of two. Today we're going to talk about two P's. We're going to talk about these two P's as we look at Acts 5, 12 through 16, and these are two of the most important P's you will ever have to deal with. And the question you're going to be faced with is, will you do the two P's, or will you not do the two P's? Let's set the stage, because it's been a little while since we've been in the book of Acts. If you remember, back to Acts 1, we entered into the scene while Jesus was still on the earth, in his body, and he ascended to heaven, and the apostles were staring in the sky, and the angel said, What are you looking at? He'll be coming back. Then they went back and they were praying, and we saw the coming of the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. You remember that with tongues, people speaking in foreign languages? We talked about the difference between the baptism and the filling. After that, we moved on and we watched Peter preach his first sermon. We listened into that, and many people came to believe, and Peter. And John got in some trouble. There was a little bit of prison going on. We saw the fellowship of the early church. We saw what they were about. We saw a blind beggar healed in Solomon's portico. Peter and John back in prison. Then we saw the devil try to get inroads into the early church, try to screw it all up in its infancy as he influenced Ananias and Sapphira. And they got themselves dead. That brings us to the text we're at today. But what you've seen up to this point, and what you will see moving ahead, is that the early church, and the church for all time should, but the early church had a laser-like focus. They were primarily about one thing. Do you know what that one thing was? Declaring the truth of Christ throughout the world. They were intentional about making Christ known to all people. That was the gist of why they did what they did. Yes, their first call was to glorify God and all they did, but what glorified God was to declare Christ. And that's what they were about, because they knew Christ. And what we see today is something absolutely crazy, but as I'm thinking about it, as I was thinking about it, it struck me. How have we gotten off mission as a church? How far off mission have we gotten? How far off mission have we gotten from what we're here to do? There's one thing that we can do on this earth that we can't do in heaven. You know what that is? Share the gospel with somebody. When you get to heaven, there's nobody lost. Everybody loves God. They've all heard the good news. They've all received the good news. And the Holy Spirit dwells within all of them. I don't know if that excites you or depresses you or what, but you cannot share your faith in heaven. There is absolutely no need. But the one thing that we can't do in heaven that we can do here is share our faith. And that's the primary reason, believe it or not, that we're here today. But how far have we crept off of mission? So today, now that I've told you, if you don't believe me, look in the Bible. Jesus tells us to go out and make disciples. He tells us that that we're his body on the earth, where the the body of Christ is his actual body is at the right hand of God. He tells us we're ambassadors of his. We're called to go out and proclaim the good news. Read, Read through the New Testament. Read through the Old Testament and look at what God's people are about. We're priests. We represent God to the people and help the people come to know God. That's why we're here. Well, the interesting thing is he doesn't just tell us to do it. He tells us how. In Acts 5, 12 through 42 tells a whole lot of that how. And I'm not going to do all 30 verses for you today. I'm just going to do five. Listen to what's going on. Understand the context of where this has happened. Ananias and Sapphira just got themselves dead. Remember that story? Barnabas came to the church. He said, I sold some land. I'm giving the money to the apostles. People said, oh my gosh, this is awesome. Praise God. And they gave him a nickname. They called him Barnabas, son of encouragement. That's the beginning of, of five. Ananias and Sapphira said, Hey, we want a nickname. We want some of that in. We want the reputation in the church. Let's sell some land, keep back some money, and tell them this is all the money. So they did it. Peter says, Why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? Ananias got himself dead. Sapphira got herself dead. And it says in verse 11, shockingly, And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Imagine you're sitting here. All of a sudden, Madeline drops dead. You know? Well, let's step it back a minute. Madeline says, I would like you to know all the wonderful things I've been doing for Christ, and then she just kills over dead on the floor. And I say to you, God killed Madeline for lying and deceiving us. God won't tolerate sin in his church. Y'all might want to leave. I might want to leave too, because that's scary business, isn't it? Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Think about this. The text has an interesting grammatical structure. The first part of verse 12, consider it like a bracket, a parenthesis, which blocks off down to verse 15. What's going on here? If you don't believe me, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. You jump down to verse 15. It says, So that they even carried out the sick. You see how it continues? We have a parenthesis in the middle. It says, And they were all together in Solomon's portico, Verse 13, None of the rest there joined them, but the people held them in high esteem. Look at what just happened here. You see in verse 14, And more than ever believers were added to the number of multitudes of both men and women. If you wanted to see people come to faith in Christ, if you wanted to see people in your house, in your neighborhood, in your community, in the county, in the country, in the world, come to faith in Christ, throw some good ideas out there how you do this. I'm being serious. And I'll wait. You all gotta be awake for this one. Give me some good ideas. We should start people in the streets. We'll get to that. That would work. That would work. Healing people in the streets. Well, what is what does the culture throw out there? Moon bounce! Do you know God invented the moon bounce? How about praying? Well, no, no. I'm talking, I'm absolutely with you. I'm talking societally, what do we do to try to bring people to faith in Christ, as, as the church, the American church? Entertain. Entertain them. Glitz and glamour. Throw a moon bounce, people come and hop. Throw candy, people come and eat. You throw a free car wash, people come to the car wash. These aren't bad things. You'll notice we do some of them. Coffee shop? Uh, you know, <laughs> several years ago, we had a, a, a family come to our church, and the, the mom said to me afterwards, Thoroughly enjoyed our time here. It was great. Heard the word of God preached. I really like the people, but the church we're going to now, that we're looking to find another church, they have a really good bagel shop and coffee shop, and our kids really like it. And I thought to myself, good Lord. Coffee and bagels, I can't give to you. But I'm not looking to compete with coffees and bagels, but coffees and bagels bring people. Free massage, shoulder massage booth in the front brings people in. This is what we do. It don't work. Look at what happened here. Ananias and Sapphira got dead, and multitudes came to faith. I need two volunteers, because we're doing a spring kill-off. <laughs> Anybody up for it? We're going to go to the park. We all killed two of you, and we're going to see what God does. Danielle? No? Patty? You guys just want to do the moon bounce rap? I saw two people get dead and I saw multitudes come and join them. What the heck is going on? Can I explain what's going on? Like, I'm gonna, if you don't give me permission, we're going to close with a benediction. This is incredibly interesting and counterintuitive. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. Moon bounces and massages are not what I might use to bring people to faith. Perhaps I'll use death. And destruction, and devastation. God, that doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't make sense. But my ways are not your ways, neither are my thoughts your thoughts. You, me, can't bring a soul to faith in Christ. No matter what you do. If I offered you $50 billion, and you didn't love Jesus, it couldn't make you love Jesus. Nothing. But God did something crazy. He killed two people. And it says here, none of the rest dare join them. The word for none of the rest is lost people, worldly people, non-believers. How do I know that? Same word used in Luke 8, Romans 11, Ephesians 2, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, and you're all thinking, yeah, right. You could check. I'm not lying to you. This word is used there each and every time to refer to worldly people, non-believers. That's who none of the rest were. None of the rest dared to join them because this was serious business. They said, we, we, remember Jesus fed the 5,000 and the 5,000 followed him because they wanted another meal? Remember then he threw out some hard teaching and a lot of his disciples, quote unquote, stopped following him? Jesus had this knack for making it incredibly hard. Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? Sell everything you have. Jesus, can I follow you? First, can I go and, and be with my parents till they die? Nope. let them go. Let the dead fend for themselves. You follow me. Foxes have holes. I have nothing. Count the cost, Jesus tells us. He makes it hard to follow him. He makes it hard for people to follow him who just want to be apathetic and hanger-oners. He's no business, no nonsense. He built a massive, robust following of 12 serious guys. He had hordes with him. He fed them. He could have gone crazy and had multitudes just go everywhere he went. But he made it hard. Do you know why? Because it takes a miraculous work of God to open people's eyes to the truth. And God does miraculous work through faithful people. And faithful people, they pee. They're pure. That's the first P. God killed Ananias and Sapphira because he was giving a message to his church that you and I, and I'll say the I with emphasis, will be well suited to heed. I do not tolerate sin in my church, God says, through the death of Ananias and Sapphira. I do not tolerate sin. You know, a church that doesn't tolerate sin is not necessarily a fun place to be. But it's an awesome place to be. A church that doesn't tolerate sin isn't about laughs and giggles. It's about love and joy. It's about acceptance. A church that doesn't tolerate sin accepts anyone where they are into their midst but doesn't accept that anyone stays where they are, myself included, yourself included. A church that loves seeks to help people identify sin, flee sin, and not to sin any longer. It wasn't that the early church didn't sin. The early church didn't embrace and tolerate sin. Now, how often do we embrace and tolerate sin? You ever slow down and think about that? Now, I don't know if this is sin or not, but I was um, reading an article yesterday on the, the six the top-selling books of 2012. Anyone see that, that link I put on? You know what the top six best-selling books of 2012 were? They dealt with gratuitous sex, and they dealt with killing kids. I don't know, the, uh, the Shades of Grey, is that, is that what they're called, those books? And then The Hunger Games. I read The Hunger Games, and I like The Hunger Games, and that concerns me that I find it entertaining to watch kids die in a book. But sin has crept in, and in some respects, we tolerate it. We, we, we get distracted from it. We embrace it. We become very worldly. And it's a slow process. I think music is part of that slow process. And I, I'm not one of those, no music, no dancing. But if you stop and think about what music has done, it... We like music to serve us, and it's distracted us from allowing our voices to serve God, right? There's nothing wrong with listening to it, but there's something wrong when we now look at songs that are played for God, and we say, you know, we come into a church, and the primary thing we look at is, how's the music? Do I like the music? The music ain't about you. The music is about Him. Now, I'm not opposed to having a band up here one day. There's nothing wrong with that but I'll never allow a band to play in this church if it distracts us from what the music is all about. And I hope you would all hold me to that account. I don't ever want to put a band up here so people come in and love the music and say, well, hey, that sounds great. I want people to come in so they can lift up their voices with us as we sing to God as a pure people, a people who sin but don't tolerate sin. And God says through Ananias and Sapphira, I will not tolerate sin in my church. But we kind of do, don't we? Now, one of the things I love about this church, some really good folks in this church. Now, a little secret here do you know there are people in this church who sin? Did you guys know that? You want me to call out names? Anybody want to fess up? Throw them up. Because if you ain't throwing the hand up, you've got a lot of trouble. We all sin, don't we? We all make bad choices. We all have bad thoughts. We all wish bad things upon people. If I could read your minds and you could read my minds, you'd be like, oh my word. That's why you can't read my mind. But he can. And little by little, there are pockets where we accept sin. And we get distracted from it. And when we do, that causes a problem. Because what God uses is a pure church. Purity does not make us right with God. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. We're saved by grace through faith and not by works. When you come to faith, your purity never makes you right with God. I tell my kids all the time since they were very little I love you because you're you no matter what. It's a fact. I don't love them perfectly, but I love them because they're my boys. And I don't care what they do, I'll always love them because they're my boys. I might not like what they do, but nothing changes the fact that that's my boy. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's what God says about us. You're my boy. You're my girl, and no matter what you may do, I love you unconditionally because you're cleansed through the blood of Christ, but because you're truly cleansed through the blood of Christ, you will live a certain way. Birds don't fly to be birds. Birds fly because they are birds. Christians don't flee sin to be Christians. They flee sin because they're Christians, and we need to be aware of that and diligent of that, okay? God says through Ananias and Sapphira, I demand my church be pure because I work through a pure church. Now, one of the reasons we're called to a fellowship is because you will sin on your own wickedly, badly, and horribly. Period. You can't get around it. I can't get around it. If I decided to isolate myself from a Christian community of genuine believers... I would creep slowly and slowly into sin, and 20 or 30 years from now, I would look back and say, oh, shoot, assuming I noticed before it was too late. It would have massive ramifications across the board. Now, if I'm a Christian, it's not going to affect my salvation, but it'll have massive ramifications across the board. Because, do we need to do Psalm 23 again? We're sheep. We're not made to live in isolation. We're made to live in community. We have a personal relationship with Christ, but it's a personal corporate relationship. Here's the hard thing. Here's what is impossible, impossible, impossible to do. Unless God does it. You and I are called to love one another based not on a stage of life. Not on liking each other. Not on enjoying my singing or or just interested to see what the heck happens with my beard till you hang around. We are called to love each other based on a foundation of the gospel. You and I are brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you understand what that means? We're family. We're actual, real, live, eternal family. If you don't like me and I don't like you, that's scary, because an eternity with each other might be pretty bad if we don't understand who we are. See, Christians are natural enemies who've been reconciled through the blood of Christ and live life together for God's glory and for each other's joy. We cannot identify sin on our own, but how often are you comfortable telling someone I fear you're you're walking in sin. I love you enough to tell you that you're walking in sin. I want to help you see it and help you get out of it. Because you know what usually happens? The person says, I don't really want to hear it. It's none of your business. You know what I mean here? That, that That takes some commitment, that takes some love, that takes a mutual bond. And it's hard to do. But it's what we're called to do, and it's what this early church did. Look at Acts 2. Look at what they did together. These these guys and gals and kids, they lived life together based on a a commonality in the gospel. To live life well for God's glory and their joy. And they knew that on their own that they would not be able to identify sin. It'll tear them up on the inside. But God said, I want a pure church, and I will have a pure church. Because the lukewarm stuff, I'm not going to use. I think he talks about that in Revelation. Read read Jesus' message to those churches in Revelation. First few chapters. Then stop and think about what we, American church, which we're a part of, have become. If Jesus came back right now, will he be delighted? Remember, we're going to be a perfect church. We've been made perfect. We're going to be a perfect church as we walk in obedience because God demands that. Let me unpack this so it makes a lot more sense and you see the the joy and the upside in it. This is not a go home, call your cable provider and cancel it. Never get online. Don't read any book besides the Bible. And never have a conversation with anybody about anything but Jesus. So if your friend comes over, Hey, did you see that game yesterday? Did you watch the Ravens game? Sin, I did not. But Jesus Christ loves you. And he died for you. You must turn to him before it is too late. Come on now. You can watch the game. You get excited about the game. but do it with a pure, a pure walk. What is, so what's purity? What does purity look like? Top button button for the women, long dresses down to the ankles. Men, suits and ties. no laughing, no smiling, no showing your teeth. This is purity. This is joy. What's purity? Walking in obedience to God with a right heart. Living for God's glory and not your own. Now, does God tell us to do that because he's wicked? Or because he loves us? What were we made for? We were made to walk in obedience to God, living for his glory and not our own. You know, you, you ever see someone walk up to a cliff and jump off the side of the cliff? Hi, I'm going to fly like a bird! You don't fly. God's telling us, hey, sin ends bad. Don't. Do what I call you to. Even though it seems counterintuitive, do what I call you to. It's going to go incredibly well. And I love you so much, folks, that on your own you can't do this. But I'm going to make a way by dying for you so that you might be forgiven and be able to. So how do you live in a pure way? How, How can a young man or woman keep their way pure? Anything clicking in anybody's ear there? How can a young man keep his way pure? Remember those uh, Bible verses from Route 119? Look at uh, Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Well, ain't that something? God actually told us how to do this? See, you shouldn't be conformed to this world. You should be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Isn't that like Romans twelve two. To walk purely before God requires to know God for who He is and to know His will, period. I don't want anyone here, myself included, to ever live an I-think life. What's an I-think life? Well, well, I think God wants me to, or I think this would be okay, or I think I should do this, or I think I should do that. I don't want anyone to live an I-think life. I want people to live an I-know life. I know God, and I know this would be pleasing to God. If I'm going to make a cake for my wife, you would never hear me say, I think I'll make a coconut cream pie. You know why? She can't eat coconut. she got issues. I don't know what the issues are, but Laura will not eat coconut. She has some sort of bloodhound ability to detect the most minute bit of coconut. Well, I've known her for a long time, and I know she doesn't eat coconut, so I don't think I'm going to make her a coconut pie. I know Laura likes chocolate pie. I know, not I think, right? I don't think... About what my dad is like, what my mom is like. I know, because I know him that well. It doesn't mean there aren't gray areas where you might wonder, but there are not as many gray areas as you think. When we've stored up God's word in our heart that we might not sin against him, we can identify sin and flee sin, know his will, do his will, and have his joy. I don't want any of us to be an I think people. I want us to be an I know people. I think people go to heaven by believing whatever they want and trying their best. Well, I know you're wrong. And I want to love you enough and be equipped to communicate that truth to you, not as someone who just has facts, but as someone who lives like they believe it. Hell is packed with I-thinkers. Heaven is full of I-knowers. We store up his word in our heart. We're not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewal of our mind. And it allows us to walk purely before God. You guys understand purity is a gift. It's a gift from God. It's an absolute gift. You and I have the opportunity to know God, not as an intellectual concept, but as a real live being. As real as, as any one of us is, is how real God is. He's not an abstract intellectual concept. Do you believe God exists? Yeah. Do you know God? How, wouldn't you love to know God well? So so this... this God seems distant. Never crosses your mind again. I, I wonder... I wonder if God is, is, is even pleased with me. Never crosses your mind again. Why doesn't God do anything today? Never crosses your mind again. Wouldn't you love to have that proximity of relationship and intimacy with God? Well, God says you can. But you must walk in obedience. And that's a gift he gives us so we could have the proximity and live for his glory and our joy and for the good of those around us. Now, Flo, back to your point here. Many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Verse 15. So that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Well, after our spring kill-off, we're going to have a lot of sick people come in. And you know me and germs, I'm not touching them. But flow. And a couple others of you i going to have, assuming that you're not part of the kill-off, we're going to have you guys cast your shadow on them as you walk by and heal them. Awesome? I've never seen a church do this. Can you imagine? I think we'd all be incarcerated. Actually, I think I'd be the only one there, right? Get an article in the Courier. God's Grace Bible Church is pleased to announce on July 7th they're doing a summer kill-off. There will be two members killed as an offering to the Lord for their sin, and if you'll bring your sick and your downcast and your downtrodden, there will be members casting shadows for them to be healed. Do you think people would show up? Yeah, they would. The FBI, the police, all sorts of people like that, and they'd take me away in one of those funny coats where you hug yourself. Have you ever healed anybody with your shadow? Please don't put up your hand because it will freak me out. I'm assuming no one's ever healed anyone with their shadow. What hap- what's happening here? Signs and wonders were being done through the apostles because God was affirming the message they were preaching. There, there was no New Testament. There was no, uh, no closed canon where people could know who Jesus was and what he did and what they must do. They were living in the times of this. And because they didn't have this, God was affirming what they did by acts and wonders and signs. Okay? It's affirming their message. The message is affirmed. Don't try casting your shadow. It ain't going to work today. God still heals people today, but don't try casting your shadow. But people knew that, that these serious folk who were scary to be around, because they were frighteningly pure and simple, they were they were strange. These people didn't live like anybody else, and and they took sin seriously, and they they lived like they actually believed that God was real, and and they loved one another such that none of them had any needs. I remember reading that beforehand. They were a little bit on the strange side, and they attracted people's attention because of how they lived. Jesus talks about love one another as I've loved you, referring to his church, and by this, the world will know of my love for them. You understand that? The world's looking at a church truly loving each other, living in purity, who, who deals with sin properly... And there was something strangely attractive about it. And they kept looking in. They come to Solomon's portico where this is going on because they're curious. They're bringing cots and mats. What do those words mean? They were rich and poor people. So the Greek words for for what the rich and the poor laid on. They were bringing out the sick and laying them at their feet because these guys had power about them. Do you feel like you have power about you? Holy Spirit lives in you. Yeah, check. You know, intellectual concept. But the Holy Spirit, God, dwells in you. The creator of heaven and earth and all things, the sustainer of life, dwells in you. But doesn't it seem a little bit more like uh, Tinkerbell? You ever, you ever have this this just this feeling that you are a powerful creature by what dwells inside of you? That while you're weak, you are truly strong. That when you see sin, you don't have to be like, oh. You can be like, get out of here. I'm not captive to that junk. When you see people, they don't scare you because you know whose you are. What can flesh do to you? You know whose message you carry and who dwells in you and you live bold like that. Or does the Holy Spirit seem just more like a a concept? You see, here's what happens. We're like a pipe. These guys are pipes. These gals, these kids. Anyone who is a believer is a pipe. You see... We were made as a pipe, and the pipe got screwed up in the Garden of Eden. It got shattered and broken and destroyed, and it couldn't be repaired, and it could never work again. And that pipe was about our relationship with God. And there was nothing we could do. And Christ came, and the old pipe has gone, and a new pipe has come for those who believe. We got a new pipe, an unbreakable pipe, a permanent pipe. And through that pipe, power flows. Except if we clog it with junk. Now, if you're a Christian, you got a pipe. The question is how much junk you got in the pipe. Sin is like rocks and dirt and gunk. The more distracted we are, the more apathetic we are, the the less faithfully we walk in the will of God as Christians, the more junk we got in our pipe, and then we sit there and go, how come God doesn't work through us? How come people don't come to faith? How come my friends don't ever seem to listen to what I have to say? How come I invite them to church and they never come to church? How come? How come? How come? Well, ain't nothing wrong with God, folks. It's about the pipe. It's about the purity. Because power flows through purity. There's a verse in the Bible, Jesus says, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Could reword that. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers got a lot of junk in their pipe, and they're not living the way I'm calling them to. Clear it out. What might happen? What, do, do you think that there's just nobody out there whose eyes God will open if they hear the good news? Do you think there's no one out there who's curious to see what does a Christian really look like, and how do they live? Do you think the people who go for the bagels and the coffee and the back rub, do you think in those places aren't people thinking, ain't there more than this? How do you go and find out? Well, here's the hard, hard work. They don't come creeping in. We go out and get them. Imagine if the Coast Guard changed his tactics. They just stayed on the coast. And if shipwrecks came up to the shore, they'd take care of the people. So they're all lined up with all their paraphernalia and all their training and all the equipment they ever need, and they're sitting on the beach. Oh, they're going to rescue anybody that washes up on our beach. And over the horizon, 20 miles yonder, there are ships breaking apart and people drowning and people sinking, and these dudes are supposed to go out and rescue, but they never bothered reading the manual. They never paid attention in school. They assumed somebody else would take care of it. What would you think of a Coast Guard that acted that way? You know the old adage that ships were made to go out to sea and not to live in the docks? Folks, we were made to live out at sea, not to just bind ourselves up in a dock. We're never supposed to be about binding ourselves up to a comfortable little community, and we're never supposed to be a comfortable little community. We're supposed to be a serious people who take sin seriously, who allow power to flow through us powerfully, and through whom God works mightily. Who was Peter? It's an average, ordinary fisherman. Dude's throwing a shadow on the ground. Now, look closely. It doesn't say his shadow actually healed people. If you read real closely there? People assumed his shadow had the power to heal because this man was different. What was different? It wasn't that he was so mighty. It was that the God he knew was so mighty. Look through Old Testament history. Joshua approaches Jericho. Wouldn't you love to sit in the camp? Joshua, we must make some weaponry to assault this city so we can take it. I envision catapults and trebuchets, even though they have not been invented. We will do this early. And we will ram hot iron steel through the walls and destroy it. Joshua says, yeah, I'm thinking about singing and dancing and marching. You are a lunatic. This will not work. Oh, it will. God told me it would. I don't care. I don't believe he told you that. Let us make a trebuchet. He says, no, we will not make a trebuchet. We will march, and we will do so quietly, and then we will yell. And what happened? The walls came tumbling down. Little shepherd boy out there in the fields, tiny little ragged guy at the end of the family tree, not good for much of anything, comes marching into a camp one day with a bunch of mighty Israelites looking across the valley at the Philistine army. What's wrong with y'all? How are you going to let that dog come out and yell at you? How are you going to let him insult the Lord God Almighty? Hey, little shepherd boy, you seen that big man? He's like nine feet tall, and he's very, very strong. I think he takes HGH. What's HGH? Don't worry about that. They'll know down the road. David says, what's wrong with you? Don't you know who God is? And he comes, and he says to Goliath, I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Goliath dropped dead. Israelites were in Egypt. How'd they get out? The Israelite Navy SEALs freed them. No! God took them out. They came to the sea with an old dude with a stick, and the sea went boom! And they went through the sea. How did they they survive in the wilderness? How did the early church begin? God took what was powerful and mighty in the world and used it for... No, no, I think it says something different in 1 Corinthians. God used what the world considers weak and foolish for His glory. But in each and every instance, God took a vessel that on its own could do nothing, and as a vessel sought to live in purity before him. David was a man after God's own heart. David and Bathsheba had a little bit of a thing going on which wasn't so sinless, no? David had a census which wasn't so sinless, no? But he was a man after God's own heart because when he sinned, he knew who he had sinned against against you and you alone have I sinned, he says to God in response to Bathsheba. Oh yeah, there was more to the sin, but he knew what sin was and he repented of sin. So here's my challenge to you folks. In light of what I'm seeing here, in light of what I see here, in light of what I see here, and in light of what I know to be true, what might happen? What might happen if you and I sought to walk in purity, before the Lord. What might happen if we were creative appropriately? There ain't nothing wrong with a moon bounce. I like moon bounces. But if I set up a moon bounce, I want to do it in a way so that we have the opportunity to tell people about who Jesus truly is and what he truly calls him to. There's nothing wrong with a back massage. But I just don't think God's saying back massages are what's for church. Use the back massage to bring them. I think he says, use the Holy Spirit. But that's really, really hard because it's completely out of your hands. Well, well, what if God doesn't do anything? Well, darn, that stinks. But what if we don't grow weary of doing good? And in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. What might happen if you and I walk before a lost world in such a way today? What might happen? What might happen if we walked alongside one another doing the hard work of intentionally helping one another, know that we love one another, helping one another identify sin and flee sin? What if we might do How uncomfortable might that get? How uncomfortable might it get if you noticed that in some areas of my life sin had crept in? How might inco- uncomfortable might it be for you to walk up to me and say, John, I've got to tell you something. But you know what? If you love me, you got to. How uncomfortable would it be for me to have to say something like that to you? Well, unfortunately, I found out over the years. Sometimes it's an absolute joy, an absolute joy. Other times, it's one of the saddest conversations you'll ever have. But what might happen amongst us, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in the county, in the country, if a few people, huh, began to walk in purity before God. Wow. And his power flowed through them. Might it be possible that more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Now let's stop on there for one minute, and then I'll finish the sucker up. These numbers that were coming, these were new believers. These weren't people that, that came from, you know, Hey, we're down from Jericho today, and we like what you got going on. That's a fancy moon bounce. Can we hang out with you? These were people coming to faith. How many people do you know who have come to faith? It's a serious question. You don't have to answer me out loud. But how many people do you know that didn't love Jesus and have come to truly love Jesus since you've known them? We all would probably say very, very few. No? What might happen, though, if we began to continue to grow, to live more purely before God, walk in obedience to Him not based on an I think but an I know? What might happen? Well, here's the choice of the two Ps. We can find out, or we cannot find out. Throughout history, God has always worked powerfully through a pure people. Pure not meaning sinless. Pure meaning people who don't tolerate sin now stop and think about this you and i were utterly and totally completely separated from god there was nothing we could do to fix that and it was wicked it wasn't a little technicality it wasn't you know if you're driving down the street and you're speeding on the highway and the cop pulls you over says you have a ticket and then he's like but i'm going to take your ticket away from you today it's your lucky day would you love the cop she's like oh i love you so much I want to serve you with my whole life, Mr. Cop, for taking away my ticket. Oh, praise you. No, you'd be like, thanks, I appreciate it. You'd be like, giddy, because you got out of the ticket. But you don't love the cop. You're grateful, but you don't love the cop. How often do we turn God into just a cosmic cop? Oh, you were really speeding on the highway of sin, and it was a big, big, big ticket. But God took it away for you, so now love him and serve him with your whole life. And then we're like, but it's really sticking hard, because I don't know that I love him, and I don't really want to serve him, and I keep trying. It. God ain't a cosmic cop sin's a lot bigger than that sin is a wicked horrendous offense to god it's spiritual idolatry a thought came to my mind yesterday as i'm working on this imagine you you say to your spouse honey i've decided i'm going to sleep around i have been for a while i'm going to continue to sleeping around and i'm just too busy to spend any time with you just wanted to let you know but i do love you what would you expect kim smiling kim's like there ain't gonna be no dan in the house if i hear that right you wouldn't have a lot of respect for Kim if she said, Oh, Dad, okay. Whatever makes you happy, sweetie. She'd kick him in the head. And then we all kick him in the head, too. But imagine saying that to God. Jesus, I love you, but I'm going to commit spiritual adultery all over the place, and I have no time for you because I'm really busy with all of my sin, but, but I love you. You think Jesus is like, Oh, okay. I love you, too. He's going to say, Hey, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. Guys, Our sin was huge. It was uncoverable. It was massive. It was spiritual adultery gone wild. Imagine if someone offended you in the most horrendous way and killed your kid, and you loved them so much that you took the massive consequence that was due to them. Stop and think about that. And you did it so that they might know you and live with you and serve you and have a joy beyond measure. You do it so they can truly be joyful. You do it so they can truly know you. You do it so they might actually have purpose in their life. Now you start to see the gospel grow in front of you. That's what Jesus offers to us. And he says to us, hey guys, I love you so much. And I show my love that while you were still sinners, I died for you. And now because of that and because you are mine, I'm going to use you to go out and declare that truth to the lost world because I love them too. You see that now? Our job here is to know how much Christ loves us, to grow to love him more fully, and allow him to use us more powerfully, period. What might it look like if we do that? Now, I did mention this is a 12 to 42 passage. It's verse 12 through verse 42. So it's awful hard to tie this loose end up. I'm going to tie the loose end up for you next week as we go through that verse 17, that but. There is a but on the back end of the sermon. But two-piece. Next time you drive by a rest stop, think about my silly little story of the carousel mall. The next time you're getting ready to go on a long ride and think about how much coffee you should drink before and how much water you should put in the car, think about my little story before. But don't let your mind stop there. Make sure it gets to Acts 5:12 through 16. Purity and power. Our choice is to seek to walk in purity as we depend more fully on the Holy Spirit and do it God's way. And allow His power to flow through us, or to go with the flow, to to allow the distractions to pull us away, to allow a lukewarm temperature to overcome us, and to always wonder, what if? As for me, I'm voting for the pure. I got to tell you, I can't do this on my own. I'm gonna need your help. I'm gonna need you guys to pay attention. I'm gonna need you guys to hold me accountable. I'm gonna need you guys to ask ask me questions. We're going to need each other to do that. Power, purity, or don't stop to pee. It went bad for me when I didn't stop, remember. It'll go real bad for all of us if we don't stop and think about it. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that you would have planted something in our hearts from your word today. God, I know that that my words are, are utterly and completely powerless to do anything for myself or anyone else. And I pray that you would give all of us the ability to to parse away and throw away the, the things that were just mine and hear what was truly from you. God, you are an awesome, holy, loving God. I pray you would allow us to see that more fully. God, we are such a distracted people. It's as if we need an air horn to go off to get our attention at times, at least for myself. I pray you would blast that air horn, that you would... Have us focus more fully on you, that you would draw us close to yourself, that you would help us abide more fully in you, that you would allow us to understand not on just an into intellectual level but across the board how deep and wide and great your love is for us, how there is nothing lacking when we seek after the kingdom of God first, that all of the relationships we seek are found in you, that all of the The desires that we have are ultimately met in you, that the joy we so desire to pursue is found only in you. God, help us to not just know this, but to experience it as we walk in obedience. But God, help us never, never rely on our own power. Walking in obedience isn't about trying harder. It's about abiding more fully. Yes, Father, it is hard work, and we pray that you will encourage us and empower us to do the hard work, but it's really quite incredibly simple, God. Help us to take those steps of obedience. Help us to become a people of your word. Help us to become a people of your gospel, living in community. Help us become a people who go out into a lost world and live for your glory and not our own. In a world that tells us to shut our mouth. In a world that tells us that faith is a private matter. In a world that tells us to be quote-unquote tolerant. Help us to never obey the world, but to obey you. Help us to understand, Father, there is cost to following you but the reward blows the cost out of the water. Father, I pray that you would use us. I pray for those around us. I pray for those in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and in our county, in our country. I pray for the leaders of our nation. I pray that, God, you would do a mighty work that you would begin to soften the hearts of people, that you would begin to open the eyes of people, and God, that you would take us and make us into a faithful and obedient and powerful people and allow us to stand out there and declare the wondrous works of the Lord, that you would allow your light to shine through us and that we would remove any barrier that would stand in the way of you speaking through our mouths or shining through the way we live our lives. And Father, that we would rejoice alongside you as even one sinner came to faith. Father, I pray there would be many, and I'm just floored that we are one of them. Lord God, we praise you. We adore you. We seek to live for your glory. And we know we can only do this if you allow us and empower us. We pray and ask all of these things in the precious and holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.